2: is new to me. Oh yeah. So real. i if I do give a damn what people say.
3: That do I need to tell you? <laughs> that is the opening cut from the new Taylor Swift album <coughs> Midnights, excuse me. Before we even get to introducing the panel and stuff like that today, I just want to point out the um composer and lyricist credits for this particular song zoe kravitz mark anthony spears taylor swift jack antonoff sam Dew, and jahan akil sweet it's a pretty disparate group of people i don't even know some of them are but uh, in any case uh, this is the new taylor swift album the reason that we would even be mentioning this besides the fact that we feel some perverse twisted need to mention this is that uh, Taylor Swift broke a record uh, by in fact occupying all ten of the top ten spots on the Billboard charts with this album. Uh, the previous uh, the previous kind of close-to record holder was Drake who had nine of the top ten spots at one point. He's no longer the record holder. Suck it, uh, Drake. Uh, uh, I just had to say that because I'm, I'm bitter about Drake for reasons that would take too long to explain. Uh, And now she's announced her first tour in five years. Our senior producer, Lily Tyson, is apparently taking all of next year off just so she can go on to all the tour dates. Uh, And so that's the kind of phenomenon we're dealing with right now. And speaking of phenomena, on our show today, Teresa Kramer is the freelance writer and editor and the co-founder of Quiet Corner Communications. Sam Hattleman works in music public relations and hosts the Sam Hattleman Show at Radio Free Brooklyn. Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. And I want to say going into this part of our conversation later, we're going to talk about Don't Worry Darling, uh, a movie which had the most storied Onset, offset, pre-release drama. Since I'm the most, I, I don't know. I sit in the promo since The Misfits, you know, <laughs> uh, but something like that anyway. And in the midst of all that, we're all going to talk about over oversharing, the problem of oversharing, driven by social media. But Sam, you know, in an odd gender reversal, you and I are the people most excited to talk about Taylor Swift, the two women on the show. Sort of an eerie, stony silence coming from them uh, so far. But, Sam, kind of get us going on this. I mean, I, I, there's sort of Taylor Swift, the phenomenon, where the fact that she has declared a tour, uh, you know, is, is creating all kinds of weird ripple effects. And there's the stuff on the Billboard charts. But probably maybe worth mentioning, you know, this is, in fact, a collection of music as, as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, there's an album somewhere in here. Um, it's interesting to see that like Taylor Swift is utilizing the full force of the music industry. She has everything on her side. And it's just kind of seeing like how far the machine can go. She sold 1.5 million first week, a million pure sales, which is absolutely bonkers. Um, thank you for not highlighting that I'm secretly a Swifty. Um, I try to keep that to myself. I don't want to overshare that. I actually um, I went to my college's alumni weekend over like last weekend and a bunch of women came up to me and they, didn't, they weren't like, Hey, how are you? Uh, what are you up to? They're like midnight. So let me hear your thoughts. So I think I'd become an authority. <laughs> um, I, I actually was kind of surprised. I kind of thought that Taylor was going to keep doing the Stevie Nicks, you know, Hot apple cider flannel music she's been doing the past couple of years that I've really enjoyed, and it ended up being a lot more dancey and electronic. And it's funny that you bring up the credits because that first song I heard the drums and I was like, "That's not Jack Antonoff." There's a little flavor in those drums, and uh, one of the producers is Soundwave, who has been Kendrick Lamar's producer for about ten years. Um, so I thought it was cool to see her try to experiment, make more. Like I said, house-inspired music, because that's kind of the trend right now with Drake, The Weeknd, Beyonce, everybody and their mother trying to make dancey music. Um, Some things were a little bit more of a miss for me, but overall, uh, I think that it's worth the hype. Yeah, I mean,
3: one thing that I—and maybe this is something where the other panelists would be interested in talking about this, too. I feel like if you didn't tell me who this album was by, and I didn't recognize the voice, although I don't really know how that would be possible, but let's pretend it were possible— you know or if if as i said in our emails if phoebe bridgers or lucy dacus or somebody like that released that album i think a lot of people like me who do not think of ourselves as swifties would go wow that's a pretty cool <laughs> that's a pretty cool album and there's actually one song it's called labyrinth actually we can just play it we play we'll play the beginning of labyrinth if you know who phoebe bridgers is think about what taylor swift's voice sounds like here and ask yourself who she's trying to sound like Okay, now I'm getting worried maybe that actually is Phoebe Bridgers. Maybe she's like featured on the track and I don't even know that. It sounds so much like her. But, you know, I mean, Teresa, there is a way in which, like, I don't really see myself as somebody who Mm -hmm. would spend all day listening to a Taylor Swift album, although I really probably could just listen to, I mean, I listened to this like four four or five times, I mean, the whole album, like maybe four times today. Um, You know, it's like there's how we see each other and how we see ourselves and then what Mm -hmm. we actually like. And sometimes our prejudices don't even really fit that much with our tastes
4: that's interesting um i i was thinking about that a little bit because as sam put it there was a stevie nicks cider flannel phase that she went through that i feel like could probably get me into being a swifty that that's your lifestyle more, that just yeah your, that is that plus
3: dogs is your lifestyle
4: <laughs> yes i i think my twitter profile actually says that my um my style is my personal like fashion style is uh, Stevie Nicks on a hike. So um, that <laughs> I could really get into. I think maybe I'll, I'll go back and revisit that after this after this. But like trying to I, you know, we're talking about this. So I did bring up the album, listen to a few songs before we started. And like one house dance music is not for me. Taylor Swift's voice kind of isn't for me. I like something a little bit more gravelly uh, with a little bit more heft to it and that kind of light ethereal voice that she has doesn't really do it for me. This to me sort of sounds like something I would play like instead of classical music or something in the background just like to not distract me too much while I was um, trying to get something done. But, like you know, I'm the worst possible millennial woman you could have asked to be on the show. I have no particular feelings one way or the other about Taylor Swift.
3: Well, maybe that makes you the best possible millennial uh, woman.
4: Maybe, maybe.
3: Um, but I will say that uh, before we get to Irene, one thing I circulated was there, there are a couple of different stories out right now, but one in Rolling Stone in particular, about Taylor Swift announcing her tour and freaking out a generation of millennial and Gen Z women who have weddings planned and who feel like they almost can't have their that they might not even want to go to their own wedding if it's on the same date as a Taylor Swift uh, you know concert somewhere near them and they're pretty sure nobody else will go to their wedding either or it'll just be guys or something which is a weird wedding. <laughs> I,
1: I also freaked out if that's a uh, that's anything to note.
3: You freaked out.
1: Yeah, I mean the lineup's crazy. Yeah, I I would fully. But you're not spend like, it. you're
3: not getting married or anything, right? No, 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 <laughs>
1: no wedding conflicts. It's a real conflict with me sitting on my couch. Um, but yeah, I also freaked out.
3: So I, Irene, I don't know, I, I don't know where to go with you on this exactly. Yeah. But uh, Okay. Which is yeah. unusual. I but can so just go wherever. Yeah, you Yeah, I can
0: go somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about. Hey, you know, I think it's so interesting the whole difference between what you actually like and what you feel that your image would lead you to have to like or dislike and so i think once you have you know like the people who are comfortable liking taylor swift are one kind of people and then they're and then i was thinking like do i like part of my image that i like to have is that i'll listen to anything i'll like anything no matter what it whether it fits my demographic or expectations or not so i can like it i can i just listened to the album for the first time today and i really liked it so um but i but i don't know i think you know is that why you know you can't you, you you know you can't have your wedding because everybody likes her and you have to get caught up in that tsunami or is it because you really like her and you really want to go mm-hmm. maybe it's the second one maybe there is something about her that's just so universally appealing but i think there's other people that are probably you know very appealing potentially but i, I think it's interesting how everybody wants to Everybody has to jump on the same bandwagon. Well, I,
3: I want—I don't know if it's the same band. First of all, let me just say that our senior producer, Lily Tyson, if, if this had happened this year instead of next year, she probably would have skipped her own wedding. And poor Zane would have been just standing there going, <laughs> I don't know. She, was, she said she was coming, and then she just texted me something about a Taylor Swift concert. I guess she's not here. But, you know, I mean, and I don't know that it's a bandwagon so much as – yeah. I mean, Teresa, just to circle back to you for a second, you know, mm-hmm. yes, you are like, you know, one of the very rare millennial women, you know, who, who who doesn't resonate here. But there's there's I don't know if that it's a bandwagon so much as she's really good and somehow or other. She has become the voice of at least a certain segment of maybe kind of two overlapping generations. Not so much a bandwagon, but maybe this is just who you listen to.
4: I, I think I think I agree with that because there are some really sort of unsurprising, very surprising people like podcasters I listen to who are like men who are my age, who really, and I'm a millennial, but I'm a 41 year old millennial. So I'm also like an exennial, like depending on who you ask, I may be Gen X, who knows, but anyway. So, um, but I think Taylor Swift has, she reinvents herself so much that like, As we were kind of talking about before, somewhere in there, there's going to be an album for you, right? Like one of them is going to resonate with you. She creates so much stuff and it's so different whether you were like in the early country days, Taylor fan, or you want dance music or straight pop music or something a little more folky. She's created something for you. And so she brings together in an almost Dolly Parton like way, this huge swath of people
3: that's a really interesting analogy, the, the, I, the Dolly Parton thing. That's really good. I mean,
4: I think Dolly would love. I'm sure Dolly does love Taylor somewhere. Dolly is out there, like trying to pass on the baton. I mean,
3: <laughs> and, and, and Sam, <laughs> thing, can I just ask Teresa yes, a quick question? Please yeah. do. Please do. you?
0: Do, do, you, do you, It sounds like you've paid a lot of attention to Taylor, even with not liking her. Is that oh, true? You, you can't know,
3: so not Is there you, yeah. a, is there a right. choice?
0: Yeah, there's okay. no choice. Yeah, like I, I
4: don't think I. Yeah. I think I have enough friends and sort of media friends for lack of a better word, people I listen to and engage with through podcasts or whatever on a regular basis who love Taylor Swift. Like this morning I was talking to Rebecca Castellani because we work together and you all know her from the nose. She, she knows, she knows, she loves Taylor. She probably should be here talking about this, but um So yeah, she's inescapable, she's
3: inescapable. I guarantee you she's been on our show talking about Taylor Swift at least once and maybe more times. She might've been even on the one where Sam feels that he was outed. Although one thing I want to say to you Sam about that (laughs) is that the real outing that day was Gorman Bouchard. Gorman Bouchard, the crankiest man in Connecticut, a title which he would not dispute and he loves Taylor Swift. I still haven't gotten over that like a year or two later that that Gorman Bouchard loves Taylor Swift. I I just, uh, you know, and Gorman is like more my age or something. Maybe he's a little bit younger, but
0: so Sam, maybe but you we'll, love her too, right,
3: Colin? I, no, I don't. I, I like. I really oh. like this album. I'm having an identity problem. I'm having a really <laughs> cynical identity problem. Like, I don't think of myself as somebody who would listen to a Taylor Swift album all day. Uh, but I actually usually when I hear her, like you know, and, and certain songs, like you know, "Shake It Off" was undeniably just sort mm-hmm. of a, a great yeah. hit. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what what are you going to do about that? But Sam, I, and I think maybe that's a good segue into saying one more thing about all this, which is. She really is. I'm a big believer in craft, you know, and she, her songwriting craft, you can't argue against that. There's, there's a way in which she makes songwriting sound incredibly easy. Just some of the tonal choices, just some of the ways that she might slide from one musical idea to another, or even from a choice from one note to another. It, It often sounds incredibly easy, but it's clearly the work of someone who takes the songwriting craft and then the production of that song very, very seriously.
1: Oh my God. That was like exactly the thing I was going to bring up was the development of her pen on this was just unbelievable Anti-hero, Some of her best songwriting ever. Mm -hmm. She's so quick and witty with the pop structures, never does too much easily illustrative, always is very honest and transparent. I think that's really what people gravitate towards is that although she's the biggest pop star on planet earth, it kind of sounds like, I don't know, like a, like a fun sleepover, like someone just like telling you all the things that happen in their day and their drama and, she leaves little like nuggets of information about her public life in there. And I think that's really why she's amassed this huge fan base. Also, there's just like a drought of American stars and music today. Like if you think about it, Drake doesn't really care about charting anymore. Um, young thugs in prison. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's like a million like they, if you there's like a really interesting billboard article about how free take so, a. Yeah, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, there's a really interesting billboard article about how hard it's been to develop pop acts in the last couple of years because nothing's been able to stick. There's this massive opening and Taylor Swift has just filled it with great music.
3: Yeah. And I think this is a good way we can segue into the second half of this segment, which is uh, about a, an article that Irene directed us to, um, because, I mean, if there's a knock against Taylor Swift, it's a, contained a little bit in what Sam just said, which is. That She is kind of an oversharer or there's a way in which you can get a little tired of hearing her score settling and her, you know, sort of iterations of her various relationships, some of them pretty identifiable, some of them not. But I mean, if there's a thing that I wouldn't like about Taylor Swift is. And a difference between her and a Lucy Dacus or a Phoebe Bridgers would be, OK, get a few other interests. Let's write some songs about some stuff that just aren't about, you know, guys that you're mad at or people you miss or whatever. Um, and and so that leads us to, Irene, the article you sent us to. It's, it's called uh, it's in The Atlantic. It's called The Decline of Etiquette. In the Rise of Boundaries, Uh, Michael Michael Waters is writing about this, saying, a disconcerting question today seems to be on many people's mind. Do we know too much about those around us? He doesn't specifically mention Taylor Swift. Uh, Advice columnists are fielding questions about how to protect against overshares, as well as what constitutes TMI, too much information, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And so, first of all, Irene, explain why this article intrigued you and why you directed us to it.
0: All right. Well, for one thing, I teach personal essay writing. And so sometimes I feel very, you know, so that issue comes up a lot. And I think it's, but I, and I think it's, uh, sometimes I think that oversharing is a way to hide. So people can use oversharing to just kind of like not say what's really going on because they're blurting out all these like super personal things and, either people like, in a way, there's two kinds of people in the world, the people who love oversharing and want to hear everything that everyone else has to say. And then the people who say, oh my gosh, TMI. You know, I think it's interesting to think that there's a shift in the culture that this article points to between, you know, it used to be, you know, you had to be more decorous and etiquette said, you just don't bring things up, period. Then we went and then we just moved so far away from it. And now maybe we're moving back to people having some boundaries, which I think is a um, is probably a good thing, but at the same time, I love I love it what I love to hear about what people are really going what's really going on for people deep inside themselves and, and encouraging them to articulate it. So I don't necessarily have an answer as much as I think it's it's an interesting thing to, to think about why do, why you do overshare. You know, why if something happened, I feel that sometimes, you know, if something happens, sometimes I have some kind of a feeling or an emotion. I think, oh, I want to write a tweet about that, you know? And then I say, why do I want to <laughs> write a tweet about that? Who is the audience? You know, like there's some kind of desire for some kind of recognition by, I'm going to tell you what I'm really going through. But on the other hand, I don't want anyone to know anything. So I usually uh, don't do it and, um But why don't I? Why why is oversharing so bad? Like sometimes I can't stand it when people say TMI. Like sometimes even in my classes, we read a personal essay. Someone says that, and I think, well, that can feel like a real insult to someone who's trying to really share something in a way that 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 means something and goes toward intimacy with readers or goes through his connection with other people don't we all want to connect with other people and so isn't it good to overshare but maybe you should depend it depends who it is and if you do it on social media it might be people that you can't you know you can't control in any way and i, I just think it's an interesting issue
3: that was a truly Populian soliloquy And by the way, one of our (laughs) premium gifts in the next WNPR pledge drive will be the unpublished tweets of Irene Papoulis, 191 (laughs) pages, uh, to find out all this stuff that she really decided not to share with you. Uh, But, yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, first of all, you know, Teresa, it's so easy to blame social media for everything. Mm -hmm. And one reason Mm -hmm. to do that is because social media is to blame for almost everything. But Mm -hmm. I sort of I think about there's a great scene in 30 Rock where Liz Lemon is on a plane and she's taken a <laughs> drug that mm-hmm. um, Jack Donahue has given her for air sickness or fear or something. But instead it causes her to hallucinate that mm-hmm. the woman sitting t- next to her in the seat next to her is Oprah. And they actually have Oprah there, mm-hmm. play, the real Oprah playing that, that hallucination. And, and so Liz Lemon just starts saying, you know, I kissed a girl at camp and then she drowned. Um, yeah. I, I, I think I, think I <laughs> ate my twin in the womb. You know, and she's like saying all this yeah. stuff and then she's, the Oprah tries to calm her down and then Liz Lemon, almost like she's going to vomit. She goes, wait, I think I feel some more stuff coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And and that's not social media. That's that's a culture where we went from the extreme that's described in this article, this kind of 50s Eisenhower era repression mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to like it's not only good if you share, but if you don't have anything to share, maybe you're not even all that interesting.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think. One of the one of the things the article also says is that there's kind of a time and a place for everything. Like what you share with your best friend is not the same as what you share with all of Twitter, right? Most of the time. And I think to to some degree, I think what can be a little bit annoying sometimes about oversharing on social media is that it feels like um, uh, attention seeking. In a way that when you're but why is that bad? I don't know, I mean, I suppose it depends on who you are. Like I have a very New England sensibility in which I think everyone should mind their own business about everything. And so like for me, I'm kind of like, I'm sure there are some people who don't have a support system, but it's like, why why are you seeking attention from people you've never met, who you never will meet and who are probably trolls? So that's why I tend to think it's bad on social media. But in, you know, in the real world, I think um, we have a much better sense, hopefully most of us have a much better sense of, you know, what you say at work, what you don't say at work, what you say to someone you just met versus someone um, you've known your whole life. It's, you know, I think we've lost that sense a little bit because we're so used to speaking to the void. And, you know, we, you, you mentioned earlier, Colin, that my whole thing is basically, um, you know, Stevie Nicks plus dogs, which is like, (laughs) if you went to any one of my social media feeds right now, it would literally just be pictures of my dogs. Like I share stuff all the time, but none of it's truly personal, right? Like, and i don't think and i tend to not follow people who want to share personal stuff all the time i'm like no can we just talk about like a true crime podcast and our cats because i i, I don't want to know what people i don't know are dealing with right now it's too much we all have there's only so much any one of us can take on at any time from the people in our lives and that's one of the things this article addresses right like when it's okay to say hey listen I can't take on your burden right now. And in a way, social media feels like people putting their burden on you constantly, whether you
0: asked for it or not. But They Uh, don't want you. All they want is for you to hear them and say, Oh, wow. As opposed to, I don't know if they're necessarily putting their burden on you. Well,
3: so I want to hear, I want to hear from Sam. First of all, Mm I don't think of Sam as an oversharer, although I will say I think this is as long as Sam has ever been gone on this show without mentioning one of his parents. Uh, so, um, so, Sam, I don't know. What's your reaction to the conversation you're hearing here?
1: Uh, I'm a crazy undershare. I don't want anyone to know anything about me ever. Um, Which is crazy because I'm addicted to Twitter, but my friends like make fun of me because I like only tweet about music and sports and movies. Like I don't need anyone to know anything about my personal life. What I will bring up is that alumni weekend I was talking about. Everybody was coming up to me and they were like, "Sam, you've you've done really well for yourself with your," uh..." and they didn't know what job I did because of how (laughs) much I undershare. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, "Is this healthy?" Like I guess uh, this week this is like a good conversation because I've been thinking personally a lot about. What the difference is between boundaries and walls. Mm-hmm. Um, like, have I cocooned mm-hmm. myself in a in, in comfort or am I protecting myself from people knowing too much about me and, you know, the, the possible reaction they have to that, I guess, not to get too, you know, deep. I guess this is NPR. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's actually I
3: guess, our, our marketing slogan right now. Yeah, is I guess,
1: <laughs> I guess this is NPR, uh, but yeah, I just, um, I also think that there's something to be said about like how men are taught to handle boundaries, and that like we're not really supposed to talk about it or have them, we're just always supposed to be like stoic and not say anything and internalize everything and create this bomb of trauma. Um, I've, I've seen that like in a, a lot of men, so I think that like. Setting boundaries is smart. Just make sure they don't turn into walls.
3: That's a really n- nice analogy, mm-hmm. I think, actually, uh, or, or image or something. Uh, all right. We should probably stop there uh, before I overshare. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't want to because Chris Pine will get a hold of information about me and use it against <laughs> me somehow to manipulate me. But that's what we're talking <laughs> about in the next segment. So let's take a break. Let's go out with a little bit more tay
2: it was accidental in the first night that you saw me, nothing was going to stop me. I laid the groundwork and then saw a white smirk on your face. You knew the entire time. You knew that I'm a mastermind. And now you're mine.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Health Care.
5: Elevating Health is funded by Hartford Health Care.
3: Ray Charles singing the opening song of the movie Don't Worry Darling. Before we go into the movie, I just want to say, because I just I can't let this pass. I, the re- one reason I was laughing when Teresa was talking in the previous segment about the oversharing thing is it brought back a memory of my son, who is the most anti-sharing person probably in the universe, but even when he was in kindergarten, there was this thing where you'd be the student of the week or the student of the month or something. Anyway, when you were, you were supposed to bring all kinds of pictures of your family and your pets and your room, your bedroom at home or something in, and they put it up on the bulletin board so everybody else in the class can kind of get to know you. And my son (laughs) told the teacher that he's in kindergarten, he said, I'm not doing that. It's none of their business, uh, <laughs> which which I, I just love so much. All right. So uh, with us, Teresa Kramer, Sam Haddleman, Irene Papoulis. We all watched Don't Worry Darling. This is the second movie directed by Olivia Wilde, Booksmart being the first one. Same sc- uh, scriptwriter for both movies. The difference is, of course, that Don't Worry Darling was accompanied pre-release by all kinds of stories, and Shia LaBeouf being fired off the thing, and Harry Styles, who's Olivia Wilde's boyfriend, being brought in, and then Harry Styles might have sp- spat on Chris Pine. Po- <laughs> And and then there were texts and emails coming out and Florence Pugh isn't happy and Olivia Wilde is calling her Miss Flo, which is actually what I call one of the dogs in our neighborhood. And I mean, everybody (laughs) really felt included is what I'm saying. Um, But anyway, the uh, movie is about uh, Alice and Jack. They're a couple living in kind of what looks like Palm Springs in the 1950s. It's kind of a planned community. It's basically created by something called the Victory Project. Uh, to house workers and families in these highly stylized uh, and beautiful 50s. I mean, the production design in this movie is, is really, really great. Mm-hmm. Whether the rest of the movie is great or not is something we are about to debate. But, um, but I think, Irene, we should begin with you, because although this movie is getting some negative press and it is per- being found wanting by some people anyway, you had some pretty interesting reasons for liking it. So maybe let's start there.
0: Um, okay. Well, first of all, I— I saw Olivia Wilde on in 1984 on Broadway a few years ago, and I just so blown away by her performance that I I have a very very I, I came to the movie with a very positive mindset. Plus, I know that her uncle was Alex Coburn, who whose writing I really uh, used to like. But um, so I was like, okay, this is somebody that really knows what she's doing, and um, and I think it's an interesting yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of gorgeous to watch. Uh, and at first I you know there's there's kind of an element of wait a minute, do we need another movie about 50s nuclear family? Um, and I love how it was so so much more than that. It sort of went into this to me it was it was sort of it had this emotional ultimately taken as a whole, has a very interesting emotional resonance in its exploration of an element of love relationships that that I found fascinating.
3: So this movie, we should say, is sort of the acting debut or the major acting debut of Harry Styles, By the way, that's his real name, which I think is really funny. But um, uh, anyway, um, he will actually be in another movie this year that's called The Last Policeman or The Big Policeman or The The Purple Policeman. He's some kind of policeman. I've forgotten the name of the movie. But uh, let's hear a little bit from the movie. Here's Florence Pugh as Alice. Harry Styles as Jack again. They are a married couple. Jack works for this somewhat mysterious Victory Project, which is kind of overseeing everything where they live.
2: What are you doing at the Victory Project?
3: You know what I do, Alice? I'm a technical engineer.
5: Mm-hmm. I know. But what are they doing? Please, what's actually happening?
2: Don't ask me that.
5: The development
2: of progressive materials? You know what does we can't that even mean? What
5: does that even mean? You know
2: we can't Come on, what this? does it mean? What does it even mean? Do you know? Do you even know what Frank is
5: actually it's doing?
2: classified. We're not even allowed to discuss our jobs with other departments. You know that.
5: What if Margaret was right? Stop it, Alice. What, what if this place is dangerous? What if- Stop what? it!
2: I'm part of something important, Alice. This mission, what Frank's doing, it matters. I
5: know that, baby, but you're not listening
2: No, to me. not everyone that. gets this opportunity. And if you keep talking like this, you're going to put it all at risk. You're worried about a demotion? That's what you're worried about? Our life, Alice, our life together. This, we could lose this.
3: All right, so several corrections coming from the uh, producer's booth. It's (laughs) My Policeman is the name of the new Harry Styles movie that's coming next. (laughs) Also, Shia LaBeouf claims he quit rather than that he was fired. Uh, So with all of that in mind... Uh, and so, I don't know. Well, first of all, Teresa, when I listened to this mm-hmm. clip, I, one of the things that happened to me watching this movie, and this is like an hour into the movie, this clip, First, and it's, as our producer McPants points out, this the first time the real premise of the movie is kind of stated. Um, and, um, and the tension of the movie maybe is sort of articulated mm-hmm. for the first time. But I had this little thing. I, I turned to my partner and said, has he had a british accent all the way through the movie yeah well <laughs> <laughs> yes. did he just start having a british accent am i am i losing my mind right now but but Teresa, i'm just interested to know your your thoughts overall
4: i think um i i agree with irene that this is sort of a beautiful movie to watch at least for most of it and um i i was thinking actually sort of uh there's that's this subset of millennial women who love mid-century modern with every core of their fiber and will just love to watch this movie for that because the architecture is stunning and the design is great and it's really beautiful and there was this sort of there was this disconnect for me wherein I was like there's something about these people that don't ring true to me as 50s right and I don't know if it was because like Um, The Alice character was just a little bit ahead of her time. You know, they're talking about how they're not ready to have babies and blah, blah, blah at a time when they probably wouldn't have had a choice. And, um, And like some of the banter between her and the bunny character felt very like of our moment to me, which sort of makes sense later in the movie, though I'm still not sure that was. Um, sorry, the dogs have chosen this moment. No, this again. is so perfect. Yeah. you got to admit
3: it is so perfect.
4: <laughs> and I will say, uh, I have a foster dog who's actually in the office with me, and he's been snoring through this entire episode. So if you have hear, yeah, heard, yeah, I saw that dog. Weird, that dog yeah.
3: needs to lay off the candy bars for a while. I, it's my
4: job to get him in shape. Yeah. He's 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 got doggy sleep apnea. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I didn't love this movie. I got to the end of it, I thought there was a lot of like internal stuff that didn't make a ton of sense to me, that I was like, I'm not sure if I took the time to try and parse all this out, that the internal logic here makes sense, and I can't get too much into that without spoiling the movie. But I'm also not sure that it's just not me, and I don't understand it, because... They did a bad job of explaining it i'm i'm not sure but i'll let someone else talk so you don't have to keep listening to my dog woof, woof, woof.
3: <laughs> uh, all right so well you know i mean sam one possibility that i'm struggling with here and it, it's come up on some in some other discussions of this movie too is well i mean some of the stuff that teresa brings up is answerable if we say well it's kind of ultimately a satire but also kind of a thriller and a matrixy kind of thing and it's like a lot of different things but it's also a satire and you have people like nick kroll you know who's really really funny usually in this movie kind of it you can sort of see nick kroll's head kind of bobbing around like could i be funny right here is this is this like a place where i could be funny because you know but um i can't really figure out whether this movie is supposed to be funny
1: uh, it's not. It's not. And it okay, wasn't. Thank it, you. It, it wasn't thrilling. <laughs> it was it was bad. Like it was a bad movie. Like it wasn't good. I don't think you've ever heard me say something like that on the show. Um, it was boring, lazy, disjointed, uh, trying to make points that like you, can, you don't just get brownie points for asking the question. I think that was mm-hmm. my thing. And I'm not trying to be the... I I don't think I'm an arbiter of feminism, but this felt like the the white feminism Super Bowl. Like, it it was crazy. And then, of course, she falls into the trope of having the black mystic figure show her the way. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, are you kidding? This is like... And the movie is supposed to be about (laughs) like female pleasure at some point, like the sex scenes. I think I read that somewhere. Harry Styles and Florence Pugh had the sexual tension of a pair of siblings. It was... Unbelievably bad. Like, uh, but I, I I do think like towards the end as the plot started to unravel, I I enjoyed myself a little more. Um, but the characters were so flat, and I I just I was yeah I didn't really enjoy it that much. That
3: is know? that's coming through. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, so um, going will play one yeah. more clip here. I I mentioned Chris Pine, Pine Pine before. He is the somewhat enigmatic kind of cultish leader of the Victory Project. Uh, um, Olivia Wilde, who by the way has said that this movie is somewhat about female pleasure. She's said it's about a lot of different things. Uh, she's in the movie, I don't know if we pointed that out. She, she plays Bunny in the movie. But um, she said that the Chris Pine character was based on Jordan Peterson, which I I really don't see at all, really. But, uh, but anyway, here's Chris Pine as Frank, the enigmatic cultish leader, and Nick Kroll as Dean, one of his minions. Dean. What
5: is the enemy of progress? Chaos. Yes. Oof. (laughs) Nasty word. Chaos. Merciless foe at chaos. Energy unfocused, innovation hindered, hope strangled, greatness disguised. I see greatness in each one of you. I know exactly who you are. What are we doing?
0: Changing the world.
5: What are we doing? Changing the world. That's right. (laughs) I look around, I see another reason why I'm here. Once unfamiliar faces, strangers, one and all, now one brave family. All of you wives, we men, we ask a lot. We ask for strength, a shoulder to cry on, food at home, a house cleaned and discretion above all else. And that, that's very difficult.
3: Right. So it's really more like if Jordan Peterson were captain of the starship enterprise, Uh, (laughs) which by the way, Saturday night live run with that idea. Um, But, (laughs) but you know, Irene, just to sort of get back to something that I think um, both Sam and Teresa kind of, um, kind of edged at. There's a way in which this seems to be a little bit about a problem that Maybe I maybe I'm being an insensitive man when I say this, but this seems like kind of a '50s problem in a way. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like this is a problem about having no choices, and and I'm wondering why you make that movie now.
0: Um, I yeah, I mean, I guess I would answer if I'm going to support the movie. First of all, I don't think it was a satire, but I think it was funny, sort of deliberately funny in some ways without being a satire. I, I would just say I would just call it that. Why make it now? Because, and that's why I think um, that to me, what it's trying to, and I agree that it's not, I didn't find it to be perfect, but I thought it was very, a very interesting idea in the sense of trying to explore the idea of what it means to, um, you know, like what love is, you know, what, what does it mean to love someone and what do you really want when you love somebody? And I actually thought it would be would have been more interesting if they didn't just stick with the traditional heterosexual paradigm um, in terms of the roles of the people. But uh but I think that issue, that question about, about uh love, I don't wanna I don't wanna give any spoilers, but is is still fresh. I mean, it's still a question, you know, it's still, you know, it it still floats around. Um in in people's relationships, and um, and so I thought that's why to make it now. You know, she 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 created this whole. They created this whole you know, fifties world. And if you, but it's, and that was an issue there, but it was a slightly different twist on it. It was a different twist. They were trying to make a twist on that usual story. Yeah. I I think,
4: I think the reason you make this now, right. Is because of this idea of like make America great again, because there's an entire Mm. group of men who would love to see this, right. This is about this idealized, this idealized version of America that never existed and uh a whole bunch of men who can't please their wives and therefore have to resort to great lengths to
0: uh
4: have a halfway decent marriage. And it's hard Very to talk about lengths. that. Yeah. It, you, it's, hard, it's hard to talk about again without spoiling the movie for everybody, yeah. but I think that's really that's really at the heart of this is because we're at a time when like so there are so many people who would like to roll. Roll, roll the progress we've made back to a time like this, and um it, it, yeah, yeah. It, including Jordan Peterson, like that actually makes sense to me. I hadn't yeah. heard that before, but that actually does make a lot of sense to me now that you have said it, Colin.
1: That was uh, that was kind of like the silver lining for me. Was that like <laughs> I thought that that was the most interesting part is that mm-hmm. this was a physical embodiment of the rhetoric that mm-hmm. conservative social media hosts tout. Like, and it, also if you want to see Jordan Peterson cry please look up the clip of this like, interview he did where he's like yeah they made a movie about me and they said my fans are incels oh no <laughs> so funny um but i thought that she like nailed that i thought chris pine like did as good of a job as he could have with the script and i thought that like you know once harry styles you know got midway to the end of the movie like showing how this whole thing got set up i thought that the th- it, it was sound it was a sound exploration of patriarchal violence and Patriarchal systems. I just didn't understand why the only focus was on this white woman.
3: All right, exactly. we have to we have to stop there. I should I do want to s- say as we stop, I do feel like it's almost un- inarguable. that Florence Pugh, and I've seen I think almost everything she's done except Midsummer. Uh, but I saw Little Drummer Girl, which nobody saw. Uh, <laughs> I think you know she's really interesting to watch no matter what she's doing. She can be in a bad movie and you're like, wow. Well, I, at least I can look at her and watch she, what she's doing. I think she's really <laughs> you know, unusual. Yeah. That.
1: That was me last night. Yeah.
3: Harry, <laughs> yeah. Harry, Harry Styles, maybe not so much, but it's his first movie. Give him some time. He was uh, in Dunkirk. He yeah. was in Dunkirk. Well, that's right. He's in Dunkirk. His first big starring role. All right. We have to stop there. By the way, I think Jordan Peterson almost cried in his one appearance on this show. Um, <laughs> it's certainly the only thing I've ever done that Reddit has ever been interested in. All right. Let's take a little break. We'll come back. We'll make some recommendations. Life
2: could be if I could take you up in paradise up above. And you would tell me I'm the only one that you love, life could be a dream. Sweetheart, hello, hello again. Shaboom and oh, boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Ding, 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 Oh, 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 bip. Shaboom, ba, robo, Oh, life could be a dream. Shaboom. If only all my precious plans would come true. If you would let me
3: spend my whole life loving you. We are back. We are fortunate to have, as usual, Cat Pastor is our tech producer uh, and uh, Jonathan McPence is as usual our episode producer for the news. time to make some recommendations Sam Haddleman, why don't you get us going
1: uh, I have two quick recommendations today the first one is a new Hulu series called, or new ish it's called reboot um, it's about a like kind of like the TV system and them uh, this like network rebooting a show from 2005 and uh, I don't know, it's it's warm, it's fuzzy, Johnny Knoxville's in it, it kind of feels like the Abbott Elementary of this year, um, since Abbott Elementary season two's been a little disappointing, definitely check out Reboot.
3: Keegan-Michael um, Key, I think, is who's carrying that series. But,
1: yes, yeah. yes. Um, and the second one, uh, uh, Takeoff, one of the members of the Migos, was killed this week, and he was kind of like the George Harrison, Ginger Baker, John Paul Jones of kind of like the Migos, who are the, one of the bigger rap groups for the last decade. So I would just endorse, you know, maybe checking them out. I think that, I don't know, if you've tapped out of music for the last couple of years, I would recommend uh, Blue Cheese by 2 chains Amigos to give that a listen.
3: All right. Uh, and now, Teresa Kramer, what are you going to recommend to us?
4: I'm going to recommend a show called Somebody Somewhere oh, from yeah. HBO. Um, season one's out. I believe there's season two on the way. It stars Bridget Everett, the comedian, and Jeff Jeff Hiller, Murray Hill, a bunch of other people who I wouldn't even recognize really, but who have given like really great, heartwarming, hilarious performances in this kind of weird, quirky little show about a woman who's returned to her hometown. Um, I don't want to give too much away and I, I just there's not much else like it that I've seen in a long time. And I, I really think it's worth watching.
3: Yeah. We did do an episode of the nose about it. Uh, back around The time that it came out. And I think we all really liked it a lot. Mm. And Jeff Hiller, Jeff Hiller kind of steals almost everything he's ever in, but he's yes. really, really good in this. Um, all right. So a uh, great recommendation. Irene Papoulos. How
0: about you? Um, I have actually Colin, you um, anticipated this because I thought I was the only one who had watched a little drummer girl. Um, the series and it's with Florence Pugh and she has, you know, the same sexy lush or different kind of sexy lusciousness that she brings to apparently every role that she's in. Um, and it's just a really fun sort of John le Carré story. And it's got her and Alexander Sarsgaard. And it's really now it's on HBO, but really worth watching.
3: Oh, well, did it move to I, I was looking for it the other day and it seemed like it was you had to pay for it somewhere. But um, it's good to know. Yeah. All right. So those are everybody's recommendations. Let me just say a couple of quick things. Um, Well, first, my recommendation is a movie called Emily the Criminal. It stars Aubrey Plaza. I think Aubrey Plaza might be, you know, about to become a really big star. People got to know her in Parks and Rec. She's done a lot of other stuff since then. There's a kind of weird, powerful stillness about her a lot of the time. And so this is it's an indie film. It's sort of about small time criminals and people down on their luck. And Uh, I I find it pretty gripping. I mean, the ending was a little bit disappointing, but I find it kind of gripping. I'm also going to tell you that we're doing kind of an unusual thing next week and something that is kind of um, cruel to our panelists which is we're doing, we're, we been, I've been talking about this for a long time, that we have to do something not about Taylor Swift, but about Taylor Sheridan, the creator of Yellowstone and tons of movies and television shows and who really has, there is kind of a Taylor Sheridan verse now. So our our poor panelists <laughs> are trying to watch Yellowstone, 1883, Hell or High Water, the mayor of whatever it is that, uh, that Jeremy Renner is the mayor. I don't know, there's just a lot to, to swallow. But, um, but we're going to try to tackle it, uh, as much of it as we can uh, next week. Uh, it's Rebecca uh, Castellani, formerly mentioned as mayor of Kingstown, Rebecca Castellani, Jim and Tanisha Dugan. They are very brave, uh, and they're going to try to tackle all this stuff. Uh, so the last thing that I need to say today, Uh, is that um, it's sort of a strange day here in the studio. This is a studio that I've shared now for quite a few years. Uh, I mean, we're not usually together in the studio, particularly in the era of COVID, with Lucy Nalpotential, who's been the host of Where We Live for now many years, and today was her last day. So we will miss the particular tone and and vibe that she brought uh, to Where We Live. We don't know who's going to be taking over, although... Uh, I think Walter Randolph Smith and uh, Frankie Graziano are going to pinch hit for a while while we figure all this out. So we wanted to say goodbye uh, to Lucy. And do we have enough music so that we can go to the music right now, Kat? All right, let's go to the music. And bye-bye, Lucy.
2: Because I love Lucy